I wondered if she needed food or do you know? I asked her if she did, so I think she's doing pretty good, but I was going to take her dinner. Uh-huh. She's been walking upstairs. and everything. Yeah, she Fantastic. said she's practicing walking up the stairs. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's something. I may be following her because my hip is right back. Ah. <laughs> You know, we both have scoliosis, so it's like it tweaks you. Ah. What is scoliosis? When you have a... A tweak. Yeah. yeah. Like when you see my x-ray, it's like, whoa. Mm. (laughs) You have scoliosis too, don't you? Is that genetic? Um... I think it is genetic because my, my dad at the end is just like, I'm just a dad, you know. But um, it could be functional because I was a gymnast at one time too, and that could be. Which yes. I, if I would have known that, I would have never done it. But. Hmm. All right then. Yeah. Let's pray. Let's do it. Blessed Lord, has caused all holy scriptures and written for our learning. Grant, gloomy, and such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, we are continuing on our resurrection study. We got the thing last night, which passages, I think today, three, Philippians 3.12 through the end of that chapter. And what did we, um, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter with many things to it, but what are some of the, what distinguishes the resurrection hope from the idea that we're just going to die and go to heaven? Our bodies are, are raised. Father Hayden really touched on that too. Yeah. So our bodies our bodies are raised. Mm-hmm. So when we die, what happens? We are with Christ. And then okay. when, when the resurrection happens, we'll be reunited with our bodies. So therefore the, sta- the state of of our state there there is a state that is after death and before resurrection. Mm-hmm. So we're our our spirit is separated from our bodies. Right. And um, that's, what's that historically called in the church? Paradise. Well, it's called paradise as a frame for the state. Sheol? Not Sheol. Because you call the intermediate state. Oh, the intermediate state. state. Oh, the yeah. intermediate okay. state. Okay. It's a, like it's middle school. Right. Like middle school. <laughs> Thing. Um, right. So, question though is: So, is Christ, Christ's body? Because he, he was talking about this morning. So, Christ is bodily resurrected in heaven right now, interceding for us, like we we read in Daniel this morning. That's correct. And positionally, because of the gift of the Spirit, we are in heaven praying with Him. What is that verse for that again? Now, uh, look, at, I, I don't want to, I just okay, say today, so we can, we, we take a look at something else before we <laughs> jump into the, like he's, he's going for a, um, so there's an important Ephesians verse on this, though, and since I don't have exactly down by memory, I have to find it, then I'll have to tell you, but it's around okay. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay. 
I mean, we've talked about it before. I just yeah. Was so Ephesians chapter two, um, verse four and following says this. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, resurrection, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when you see, this, this is the mystery of understanding Revelation. When you read Revelation and you see the throne of heaven, you see four and twenty elders. That's the church that has been raised up and made to sit in heavenly places. So this is profoundly or expressed in the Eucharist when we gather and we're, we, we lift up our hearts with the angels. So we're, we're there, but there's that sense that we're there, but we're not, you know, fully and finally there. There's, there, there, there's that way. So, um, we're positionally there right now. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and, and I think a good way to think about it maybe is that we, we can't, um, it's hard to get away from spatial imagery in talking about this. Like even the ascension. Okay, you ascend. Well, where do you go? Is, is this how many miles to heaven? <laughs> Would be the question you might ask. Where is it located? And we we should understand that the spatial imagery it gives us uh, a symbolic, metaphorical map to understand. But we don't think that that Jesus is gone from us like like somebody travels to Canada or something. That the, the distance between um, life in the realm of of time and space and life life in the realm of eternity. I'm 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 still working over this idea too of of what we call time and space because I think uh, this is a parenthetical note that uh, will be a whole other Bible study sometime. Yeah. But there's a whole study on Christ and time because there's been a, a standard idea that well we're in time and they're in eternity. Exactly. But but there's a um, an author we like named Oscar Kuhlman, um, who was influential in Schmemann, um, he says, no, eternity is an endless succession of time. There's not, it's not timelessness. So I, I work my mind what it means to be in the realm of, 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 of heaven, which is somehow um, time and space that is the realm where time is experienced in a certain way and your other dimensions of reality are not open to, to us. Mm-hmm. So if we saw things as they are, we'd see things we, we can't see things. So the, the ascension is really into a different realm of reality, which is away, but not really far. That's why Jesus can be at hand, near, but not here because the, the the portal is the portal of you know from from the realm of the kingdom to here which is and we're present in it in the spirit and that's the tension between the Christian life and the kingdom is <clears throat> we are in the kingdom we access it in the spirit but that's not so some, it's a distinction you define what you're talking about in just a different dimension I think that I think dimension is probably the best word um, of reality. <laughs> but of course, 
you know, science fiction is is based on that, and the fact that we have imaginations that conceive of mm -hmm. these things suggests that there are things there to conceive of. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I think that's However, right. with that word dimension, because we've seen the third dimension, you know, whatever movies are out there, it comes with baggage with it that make it lead us the wrong way and not think right. Right, you can imagine it wrongly, which is why we want to, you know, I mean, you know, C.S. Lewis played on this, the line, which order and go in the wardrobe, out the back yeah. different dimension, yeah, yeah. a different right thing that isn't That's spatial. Right. Yeah. 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 So so those who theorize about time and then eternity, I mean, there's times in our own lives where we feel like we kind of enter eternal time, just, mm -hmm. but, um, so are they saying that they think it's already happened, that because it's eternity, that it's in a different... That's what I've wanted. Well, I, I, think, I, think, I think what... Um, uh, and I, 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 don't have a, I don't have a developed take on this because I haven't <laughs> thought deeply enough about it. I think it, it's a book we've read by Oscar Kuhlman called um, The Resurrection of the Body or the Immortality of the Soul. And a lot of the idea that, that the difference is time and eternity has to do more with the Greek idea of the immortality of the soul, that, that, that to be saved is to escape your body and enter into eternity, which is, of course, not what Jesus said or did. Um, and so um, that the, the difference between life here in the body and life in the intermediate state and life in the resurrection is not a difference between, in the sense, between time and eternity, strictly speaking, but between life in the dimension where there is still death and life in the dimension where there is still life, but that life is still lived out in some sense of sequence. And, and, and I think part of this gets back to our resurrection hope that the idea is that, that in the life of the world to come, the resurrection of the life will become that, that it won't be devoid of creativity, of activity, of, of, of things. In fact, these just won't be marred by what uh, Revelation says with death, sorrow, crying, pain. You know, you won't go, oh, done, lock my door, somebody there. It's, it's just, it, the, the whole idea that there's, but you'll still have the good. Yeah, I get to play. And so I think that's, and that's, this is why I think the resurrection is so important to stress because we can see, we can conceive of a desirable hope as the fulfillment of, 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 you know, the presence of what we have here taken to a, a, where you don't lose mm. and where, and where it doesn't pass away and when things don't go away. Um, it's hard to conceive of a desirable hope, which is largely the absence of what we know. Oh, God, the body, we're in the spirit, we're, we're just souls, immortal, it's like that doesn't, and that's not, and I, a part of our study as we're working through is to make the point that that's not what the Bible was ever taught. Um, so, there we are. And so, what we're getting in this passage in Philippians, one of the things I want, I want to start, it, 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 St. Paul, I think this, I like this passage because it, it, um, it connects a conception of the spiritual life with this resurrection hope that the idea that's always what life is pointed towards. It doesn't mean that, but, but that doesn't mean that all you ever think about is 
the resurrection, <laughs> it means that um, in as much as there is good in what we now experience, it is always seen sacramentally as a taste, and we're always moving forward into it. And there's a uh, a progress uh, in the spiritual terms, a, a pilgrimage forward to something. And this does care. This is unique about the Christian life because um, I don't think the world has that in a, in a in what we call a, a a temporal frame, a frame in which all of life is bounded by space and, and time as we know it, and which there's nothing beyond it. Mm-hmm. So your pilgrimage is not really that. It's much more immediate. It's much more how do I get what I want. And when you're younger, you think you get it when you get certain things, and then you get certain things, and you're just getting <laughs> one other things, and so so. But that's that's the essential problem of life. But but it, so the, <clears throat> secular life is not conceived as a pilgrimage of growth into something, but the attempt to acquire something called happiness, which which um, does isn't really conceived in terms of growth. As a matter of fact. In popular images, it's often very youth-oriented, which suggests you don't need to have any wisdom to get it. You just get young and you, you do all these things. So, so this is why this passage, I think, is significant in highlighting some of that. So let's jump in at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. We're dr- jumping in at a place where Christ, where uh, St. Paul is describing um, his movement from his old status as a Pharisee, Mm -hmm. where he practiced the Jewish law uh, according to the strictest sect. Paul would have been seen, in modern terms, going to Israel, he would have been like an ascetic Jew. Mm -hmm. Those are... Yeah, if you see these guys in the New Testament, I mean, it's an anachronism to say they're just like this, because clearly things have developed in, in a couple thousand years. But you can certainly see in the outlook the very same kind of orientation. The idea that zealous observance of the Torah is what will cause God to, as it were, vote for Israel and vindicate her. And so then then St. Paul met um, Jesus on the Damascus Road, and that changed his whole paradigm. And all we read in the New Testament is him realize, oh, I looked at the Torah the wrong way. So he says, I used to, whatever I thought was this thing I had or gained, I now count it as loss uh, and um, to, 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 to gain Christ. Um, and so he, he, he goes in verse, verse uh, 12 then to say, um, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. There's that sense of pilgrimage. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm in Christ, but I'm not where, I'm not at the final destination yet. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Which is interesting, that mutuality of Jesus grabbed Paul but now there's a there's a, a Paul sees there's certainly a role for himself and his will to move forward into that, and I think that that's our conception of the Christian life, a sacramental conception, really highlights 
the initiative of God in that way, that we see God giving grace to us in sacraments, laying hold of us, and our faith is really our response to the way he lays hold of us. Sometimes in cultural language, there can be a great emphasis on our, our, our choice of Christ or our decision for Christ. I don't want to minimize the need for people to, you know, actively exercise faith, but it, it can subtly become how much I believe. Whereas if you look at the Pauline example, he, was, he just got you know, knocked off the horse. Here he is. Okay. Jesus grabbed him. Then everything Paul did was response to the initiative of God. And the more we understand the Christian life rightly, we'll see it's always our response to what God has done. This is why I think even, you know, baptism, and then again, remembered Eucharistically, we, we oh yeah, this is Christ is always still there. And then we go out from that into, and that's our movement forward into that, to lay hold on that which, for which we are lay, uh, Christ lay hold of us. So, brethren, verse uh, 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, this is, a, I think, a significant point about the spiritual life, forgetting those things behind, reaching things that are ahead, that um, when we're forgetting, when we think in the past, what kind of words come up about the past? We've blown it so much. <laughs> regrets. Regrets. Or anger. Anger, or we want it to be a certain way. What, in, in terms of uh, Christian faith, what are we supposed to do with those things? Bring Paul here would be forgetting those things. So, um, from all to the cross, right? Confess. Well, it's, it, it also seems like I mean, the, I think the forgetting um, in his his idea would be sort of forgetting, um, uh, you know, his efforts to be righteous as a Pharisee, but. Also, I think he'd look back and say, oh, but all that stuff I learned certainly served me well now that I've come to see Christ. Yeah. So it seems like mm -hmm. we're supposed to re-narrate mm -hmm. our past so it becomes part of this new redemptive mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. And the regret comes when we leave it outside of that and we wish for a life that was not. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's so forgetting forgetting the worldly disappointment, but you you, um, you you bring that into, and you realize, what did Christ do in and through me? Mm. Through that, because I've, I've actually, you know, you, you, I've, you talk about my life and talk to people who will, will have a lot of regrets about things, but when you talk to them, if those things hadn't happened, they probably wouldn't, that their narrative by which they came to faith doesn't exist. And, and so they wouldn't even have known Christ and say, well, so you, you can't really change your story without changing your whole story. So regret is kind of funny. It's like we always want to do, um, we always want to, uh, like just change a couple details. Now, I like all this, but I, I want, you know, well, mom and dad have been different. I want this to be like that. I want this like, and like, well, you don't really get that. If you, if you change all that, 
uh, first of all, it's one thing even even about um, like parents. It's like you literally can't have anything have been different because that would you know you the fact that we are here is an extremely chance meeting yeah. of things in the moon of our mothers that if they waited a day longer or were any different at all, we wouldn't be. Someone else would be. Yeah. So so you can't disown your story. You can only redeem your story. So the forgetting is it's is it's a worldly it's it's sort of worldly sadness. And and I think this is, gets back to the idea of life as a pilgrimage. Um, that we we have to integrate those experiences and memories into the narrative of redemption. Therefore, they come out of the old life of the narrative of birth to death and just need the happiness and needing things which they get in the way of into the new narrative of moving from new birth to resurrection and understanding how those things fit into the story. Well, let me ask you something. Thank you for reminding us about that. That's really... If you would rephrase what he's trying to get at, could you do that concisely instead of using the word forgetting those things? Yeah, um, and, it, and it may it, it, he, it's a good it's a good meditation here because clearly I don't think he means forget anything about your life. There is a famous English spirituality book called The Cloud of Unknowing, mm -hmm. which deals with the four spirituality that you're not supposed to practice till you've been at the regular stuff for a couple of decades. <laughs> but he talks about entering in the cloud and forgetting, mm -hmm. unknowing. That's a different mm -hmm. kind of thing. Just for a period of time. Yeah, a period of time. But it's so so it's um So you detach from the world. But but I think I think he he means um Letting go of your former narrative okay. and embracing your new narrative. I think that's what I was. That's how I would do it. That's good. I, I would also say about this what I was talking about, which I don't think. I mean, I'm reading. I, there's some what you call eisegesis here because this isn't Paul does say forget, but I'm expanding on past. That this actually does have to do with trauma healing too, mm -hmm. because yes. what yes. really happens with traumatic events is. They get split off from yes. our lives, right. and they exist outside of our conscious story mm -hmm. and memory. And um, healing comes as we, as they are integrated into in some way, and they, but that, and it only makes sense in the light of, of the of the redemption we have in Christ. We remember here, of course, that Christ Himself on Easter Day appears and shows His scars. Mm -hmm. I've had. Bible studies where especially women said, well, I, don't, I don't want my scars. <laughs> but it means that his risen body has not forgotten the abuse and the victimization, but he has now conquered them. Yes. He is now he transcends them yeah. and, and, and in the victory. And that's kind of what we what we are I think this is work. And I think the one the one thing I think that we have to be careful about when we talk about prayer or the Christian life is people mistake the idea that I can, oh yeah, I understand that I have to integrate that into my story. That's different than actually integrating your story. Yeah, right. You know, it, that, in other words, injury memories means facing the real pain of loss you had and, and, and going through some grieving. Um, 
in that grieving, there's usually some forgiveness that you're bit, we're bitter at someone, we're angry, letting go. And then we let go of it, that lets go of the hold they have on us. So again, to get back to the image of Jesus, he didn't rise from the dead. Let me find Pilate, that's in here. I'm, I'm, you know, they're no longer significant. They were parts of a drama which he now transcends. And if we can live in Christ, if we, as we enter more fully through our prayer into that, we experience more and more, we're de- we get more detachment from that anger and regret that used to have a hold on us. And I think this is a progress. I've, I noticed um, when I talk to people about this in my own life, you know, I, I think it's something you can do better as you get a little bit older. I, I think I've, I've noticed that like people who are serious about their faith and kind of get into our realm of looking at life and family often spend parts of their 20s, maybe even into their 30s, realizing, you know, things in their family and experiencing anger, regret and all that. But then it comes a time when there's an ability to get a little bit more distance and to think in terms of this is what I think we have to do for the healing is is um, change our focus from what we perceived people did to us, simply our experience that we went through. And then, because um, that's often what we've, diff- we've, we've separated from ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to embrace. And sometimes we'll find sadness there. Mm-hmm. And we'll find things, oh, yeah, that was hard for uh, certain kinds of approach to, to this causes parts. Parts of ourselves can be memories, implicit memories that are there. They're not all of us, but they're and they can often be pushed away and and they can be like the relationship to who we really are. They can be like little children that need to be. So if we can process our own grief and sadness and, and work through it and integrate that emotionality back into our being, that that part we then get the space to, to, to let go and realize, yeah, because by that time we've done enough ourselves and realize this is how the human family goes. It, we experience, we pass it on. So we experience healing in Christ. We break the cycle, we let go. I forgive. I'm not, I don't hold anybody accountable uh, for it. I'm, and I'm, I embrace the work of Christ in my life. And that, that sets me free because... When we don't forgive, when we don't let go of it, then we allow what somebody did to us to continue to determine how we're going to behave right now. And that, in a certain way, is the the essence of victimization. Mm. You did something to me. And I can't get, as long as I, I retain the unprocessed wound and anger at you, I'm sentenced to continually respond, acting in response to. But if I process my experience of it, yeah, that hurt, and let go of yours, and then we realize something very. This is and this is a, I think, a profoundly redemptive message is that we say, well, where was Christ? He was there. Well, wait a minute. Well, on the cross, was God with him? Where was? Yeah. In the midst of the deepest stuff, it was always going to be the story. 
It was always going to be this thing that is going to the resurrection. That's the epiphany that, oh, part of this other story. So that, that we begin to understand that, that the Sanhedrins and the Pilots and the crowds of our life yelling at us are just play, they're not even important. Important is a story. And then we can we can just let go of things. So that's the, the forgetting the old narrative and embracing the new narrative is how I say that. Um, and I think it merits some just additional comment that I gave it because we, I don't want it. We can't pretend like we can just oh I'm gonna forget that. And that's a lot of half what people pretend forgiving is. It's like oh it's forget it. it's no big deal. Forgive or forget. Yeah. And I've. The people I, I, I talk with who, who, who try to claim that will eventually come back to, to, to the realization sometimes over years it's not working. <laughs> like, I have to realize if I was hurt, I have to embrace the pain I felt in that space. And we experience it in our bodies, not just our head. Well, that's, and that's, yeah. that's the, that's, you know, really that's some of the, the contemporary trauma stuff, like the body keeps the score and all that, the, the, the embodied nature. But that, it's interesting mm-hmm. because we're talking about the resurrection of the body, mm-hmm. how embodied mm-hmm. all this stuff is. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so you could, and, and paradoxically, you can only forgive once you've, um, experience something real that hurt. <laughs> yeah. So you have to acknowledge yeah. And so and, and here again it, it's I think when, when it's family stuff, sometimes there's there, there's there's there are traumas where a, a a criminal victimizes somebody and there's a clear you did this and I suffered. In a lot of family situations where we experience something, sometimes there is that kind of active abuse. Sometimes it's just normal family disorder, a little over-aggressive critical parent, a little absent, distant parent left us alone. And in that case, it's not the forgiveness is um, we still have a natural fallen tendency to be bitter. You know, right out of Genesis 3, you know, the woman, the serpent. You know, and... And only by um, by embracing our own experience of this is what it's like for me is it and this is what I experience this and grieving through what my actual experience um, and embracing it and realizing um, that actually can be a doorway to a closer experience with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, this the, the the implications of the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Is something that has continually grown on me. Mm-hmm. Jesus isn't saying, oh, it's, it'll be really great when you're sad. Mm-hmm. He's saying that when light, when you experience the real sadness of life, it opens a door because it d- disconnects you from the narrative of the world that all's great and into this and then the cross where the world is saved. And so you're comforted. And, and uh, um, I don't want to take it linguistically too far, uh, but the word comforted uh, is related to the word for comforter. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, um, so that's what I mean. Forgetting means, I think, re-narrating, forgetting the way you look, used to look at the past. And St. Paul I would say about his own life that he doesn't mean that nothing is a Pharisee. He learned a lot of Torah that serves us well yeah. now that he, because Jesus that. didn't have to read it all over again. He said, oh, once he got the key, all the things opened up in a new way. You know, but 
even so, Paul was on his journey of his of knowing who God is because he said in the previous verse, not that I have already attained or already right. perfected. So maybe he, he was thinking, you can forget, or I need to forget this, or you forget that because he wasn't there yet, too. You know, he's in the process right. of learning what you just said. <laughs> and and, the, and these um, this process of, uh, of, of, you know, this, this prayerful process of working through our experiences is a cyclical thing. You don't... <laughs> If you if the wounds right. we carry don't really go away, yes. we what we do is we develop the ability to experience them redemptively, mm-hmm. so that when we when the sad so that it, they continually become ways to open ourselves up to prayer to presence and the issue that enjoy. Whereas before it was denial, push away and and or or again anger anger and bitterness. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Forget, back to the text, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this upward call, he's going to articulate a little bit more at the end of the chapter, which he means the res- by which he means the resurrection. He doesn't mean just dying and going to heaven. He means that the time when Christ calls us to life from death. And pressing toward the goal, uh, reaching for the things that are ahead, in, in a significant way, this would comprise what we call the life of prayer. The way that, that all of life is brought into our experience of the kingdom and helps us move forward in it. Um, and that's even what, even what we just talked about is we're forgetting we're pressing forward, we're taking those things, bringing it in, and renewing it, and moving forward in a new way with it, towards the resurrection. So that's the narrative of our lives that I want to highlight here, is that they begin, St. Paul would say, his, his life, actually the narrative he's living in now, began when he met Jesus, which would be... Uh, Sorry, it's reading that chapter. Which... which, um, which um, Hold on, sorry. It's the apostolic wild. <laughs> which, um, which issued forth in his um, baptism. And clearly St. Paul therefore sees the end of his journey as the resurrection. So the, the story of his life begins in Christ, baptism, conversion, faith, and ends in resurrection. So this is the story He's forgetting what's behind and moving forward towards this thing. And that contrasts with the world we live in, where the narrative is conceived of one that begins at birth, born into this world, not new birth in Christ, and ends in death. And how we conceive of things in the world uh, are about how they make us happy in here, how we're getting things here in a strictly worldly way. And... Religion in that narrative is typically experienced in terms of how we can get God to come into our lives in the world and and help us with things that will make us happy. But in the narrative of new birth to resurrection, it goes the other way around. We're living in this life of prayer, and we bring things in the world into 
our prayer in the kingdom and understand everything that happens in the world in terms of this. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that God doesn't give us good things and anything right. like that. It just means we're understood in terms of this narrative and and mm-hmm. concepts like merely temporal happiness. Look, we are, it's okay to be happy, but even when we talk about happiness as Christians, we shouldn't talk about just temporary satisfaction of every temporary desire. It ought to be the good that God has given us as a sign of his presence and, and, and our, our, the, the, the movement forward because everything we get in that way, if we have something we call happiness, is going to be lost if it's merely conceived of temporally by the passage of time, by death. So that's why it's understood sacramentally. Yes, this is a taste that moves us forward. So I, I really appreciate this because I, I, the evil one really uses my past to beat up on me a lot. So by forgetting, I can say, yes, that happened, but I'm letting go of those things. I'm now in the new narrative of my uh, of redemption. So I don't have to, I can let go of those things. I can forget those things um, metaphorically. You know, they, they happen, but they're not, they don't have power over me anymore. I, th- I think one, one of the things I've noticed uh, in, in dealing with our pasts, in our culture, well, maybe a lot of cultures, um, um, what we might call shame mm-hmm. plays a significant role in, in um, inhibiting the healthy processing of the past. Yes. Because what happens is that... The evil one loves shame. <laughs> well, when people remember, like have, if you have a, a, an implicit memory, a part of yourself that is triggered by something. Um, in many cases, the um, it was associated with a, a situation where um, maybe in your family or system there were there were messages like you shouldn't feel that way or right. that's stupid right or that's so um, you don't feel that. so that so that your the, the part will bear some real sorrow. Mm-hmm. But you can't get at it because another part of you said protects you by if you feel that you're going to suffer for it. So don't don't. So shame we have to we have to be able to kind of and and shame is the idea that you're in, that we are intrinsically bad, and that has to peel away to know that 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 that, that Christ in, it accepts us and that our experiences are um, legitimate. And when they hurt, they hurt, and God saw them, and God was there, and we can, we can experience and process them in him. And this is one of the significant things in, in the Christian life about having conversations and places in our lives to share stories, because what, what really bottles people up is that um, they think that their story is unique. Um, and so... Uh, we have some of our frameworks of classes where we tell a lot of stories, and there's a lot of like, oh, you too. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm not the only one who, who you know, went through whatever. And we realize, oh, it's all the same verse, same story. And then you, it helps you when you know you're part of something. And this is when, when church is really oriented not around emotional honesty, but with, and there's boundaries to that, too. Be careful with that. Mm-hmm. But, but um, when it's just, we got to look nice, look good, how things, things are great, damn great. But it's never the ability to say, you know, this this isn't. Um, that doesn't mean that every conversation should be the unburdening of everything in your life. Every, you know, I, it's like 
There are certain people, like when you say, how are you, you're going to get an essay. So I, like when people are coming out of church, I noticed a few of those, and like, I, it's just, hi. Because they're wanting to say, how, how are you? And say, how are you? It's going to go on for about a half an hour. Hi. Let it get it. So, hi. But I think I think we can hopefully develop relationships within the body. You know, the ability to share in that way is only developed through trust. Mm-hmm. You have to be in spaces where there's, and then you can learn about it. But all those things are part of that. But the shame that is felt is 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 in my sort of observation a a, a secondary emotion to the emotion itself. That, that was taught to us when we, were, when we were taught that the emotion itself was, we were bad because we had the thing itself. Mm-hmm. And therefore we protected it. We were not going to feel that. But the problem is, you do feel that. <laughs> you did feel that. So until you have some, and, and grace, I would, I would highlight this about the idea of the grace of Christ, is that to experience grace, you have to have it touch all of you. Mm-hmm. And you can't have a part of yourself that's split off that you never deal with, that you don't integrate. Oh, God loves me. And a lot of people, I realize they, they, they retain an anxiety in their prayer because they have these parts that don't really ever come into their prayer. And, and, and a lot of times sitting still and the contemplative modality of prayers where these things begin to reconnect. And that's why a lot of people like to be busy all the time. That's why I, have, I always have noise. I always have something because they can't sit still in it and, and kind of deal with what, the play, what happens when they face God as, as who they really are. Because when it surfaced in childhood, there wasn't someone that was there, present, loving. So they think they, not me, <laughs> in that I'm silence. The thing that I think we can experience in, this is a providential experience of grace, I think we can experience an epiphany that yes, somebody was there. Mm-hmm. He didn't, yeah. he didn't yeah. make it all go away because it's not the way of saving the world. This is the offense of the, of the passion narrative. Mm-hmm. When we're there on Good Friday, it's like a really bad way to save the world. <laughs> Just make all that go Why away. are you doing it this way? Well, that only when our lives begin to realize we've had to suffer some things that we don't want to suffer. <laughs> Why do you think it this way? That that um, that we realize he is in this, and this is part of a narrative. We don't know where it's going, and that's the trust. So, some, but the point is, yes, he was with us, and that's well. What, oh, you know, that's a whole epiphany about how God was at work in that place, and then how, what you experienced in that place, as it now is understood in the light of where you are, was an essential part of who you are. And you're not who you are apart from that. So verse uh, 15. Therefore, let as many of us as are mature have this mind, and maturity is to look at our lives more objectively, to understand and to, to process it this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree we have already attained, let us walk 
by the same rule, let's be of the same mind. And this, we've already, I'm not already attained, but in some ways I have attained. We live in a relationship with God. We're moving forward to its completion. So we have some, we're pressing forward towards the, the greater part. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. Good, interesting point. St. Paul does say, I mean, it's, it's a pretty bold thing. I've, I've never been tempted in a sermon to say, you know, you know follow what I'm doing, you know, hey, do that. You know, so he's like, but, but you know, there, there are, what he's, he's, he's talking about those who are purposely living out the Christian faith as opposed to the opponents of the church here in Philippi. Mark us off and, and follow us. That's a good thing, thing in life. We can see yeah. the examples of others, that they are helpful for us, yeah. people who do certain things kind of well. We can kind of take stock of I, that. I've definitely done that, where it's certain people, I'll, I'll look at them, and, and I think about this, or Paul said to take note of them and follow what they're, what they're doing. What about you? You be that pattern. Well, yeah. well, I think I think we I think like all Hopefully of us I in certain ways Paul. can be patterns, but I think it's problematic. I mean, Saint, he's Saint Paul. He, yeah, he goes, right. He's out of humility. It's problematic for us to say, "Here I'm an example. Right. Let someone else say <laughs> I was your example." Yeah, exactly. yeah, well, that song came up in our morning prayer the other day, along well, or evening prayer, but it was just like it was something like, "Blessed, thank you, God, so much for the saints." That are around us that comfort us. It was in the Psalms of David saying something because I remember texting Rochelle and I'm like, "Thank you for being in my life." Because for me, she's like this example of just someone that keeps persevering. And so it's just like how blessed it is to have these people around us that that are choosing this path and not. This does highlight something will come out at the end of this verse too that that, that this is. Uh, we're being saved as a body of the church. Yes. And in our culture, the whole individualistic salvation, which tends to be a salvation as kind of insurance policy that I hold on to as of my own life, it doesn't really work. And you can't really experience the kind of healing we're talking about here unless you're in community with people who are also experiencing it and open to it in that same way. Mm-hmm. That's why the, the body is so important. And, and, and those that have done it well are, are so important to us. For, for many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. So much for the idea that all will be saved. <laughs> whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. That is, they, they, um, they're governed by their appetites, and their heroic feats of whatever it is they should be ashamed of is this thing they say, look at me. Who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. Now we should note something about Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, which means Roman military officers retired there. So it was a highly, highly patriotic city. Mm-hmm. So when St. Paul says, makes this point, it's like we make an American, yeah, patriot, we're waving the flag. It's like, <laughs> yes, but yeah. our citizenship is in heaven. Yeah, this, is, right. this is, it would have an equally, an equally uh, as drawing impact here mm-hmm. in Philippi as it would uh, amongst uh, some in America. Mm-hmm. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
Jesus is our Lord. We live under his rule in the commonwealth. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. And we, so we, our citizenship is heaven. We're seated in heavenly places in the spirit, waiting for the actual return. We wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. It's interesting, this is what I mean by the, by the corporate implications, our lowly singular body, which means we're the body of Christ, each of us is a member, and something about the way we relate together is the unit of salvation, not a bunch of isolated individuals. The dimension of reality, the resurrection will reveal just what that means, but this is the language he's using here, our lowly singular body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So we wait for the Savior. This is because this is like back in 1 Corinthians, the trumpet will sound and the dead will raise. We wait for the Savior uh, who will um, transform our bodies, change us into what we're, what we're becoming from the seed of, you know, of the Corinthian passage into the fully developed body, spiritual body, by the power um, or the working, you you could call it the working of the power, by which he's able to subdue all things to himself. And um, the Lord Jesus, and this is the idea that Jesus is the word of God, through whom at the beginning God spoke. And when God spoke, whatever he, he has, the his word has power to do whatever it says. So when Jesus appears and he says, rise and gives the command. And this is, this is part of actually the, 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 the importance of um, our morning prayer lesson from Daniel today, where Jesus is the son of man of Daniel 7, who came to the father uh, on the clouds and to him was given glory and dominion and a kingdom, so that the dominion over the created realm, which was given to Adam, but Adam lost through sin, so that Adam became subject to it, has now been restored in Christ, so that he has dominion, and what he says, he can exercise authority, he has the power to subject it all to himself. And that's the end result of Jesus coming down to save us, rising up, uh, and then coming again. So, there's the resurrection. Let's look at our last passage um, in Thessalonians. Just like in the morning when you're like, just a few thoughts on (laughs) morning prayer. It's like, uh, you just told us the whole meaning of life. (laughs) Uh, Remind us Thessalonians second or first? First uh, Thessalonians four thirteen. Um, I, I, I highlight these passages, and I, I would check anyone who wants to study the Bible. If, but if you go through virtually every New Testament, I mean, there's exception here and there. Writing the hope of resurrection is is is, is clearly explained. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the idea of merely dying going to heaven, there's always the waiting for Christ, mm-hmm. waiting for the change. And this this is a passage. This is actually we have a, a funerals 
Um, which we'll have one tomorrow of Father John's father, who's going to celebrate the Requiem for him. Um, this is what we read. This okay. is the epistle. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And so you see, fallen asleep is an intermediate state. And notice even the very language of there, that's not like, they died and went to heaven, it's all done, isn't that great? It's, they're asleep, they're with Christ, but, but, but the resurrection hasn't happened, therefore the thing hasn't been completed yet. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And it seems to be that the, the error that this passage is dealing with in its local context was the idea that in order to participate in the resurrection, you had to be alive and present. And therefore, since some people had died, they missed out. Right. So, so, so the, the clarification St. Paul is making is say, no, your brethren who have died who are asleep are not going to miss the resurrection. Here's how it's going to go down. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus bring with him. He comes with all the saints. So it's not. Um, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So this takes to the order of resurrection. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Hey, you! <laughs> Wake up! Just like with Lazarus. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. So the trumpet, a shout, a command. I, I think the shout might be rise. The command, because he can, he can subject everything to himself. So if he says rise... You can't, you can't push a snooze button. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So St. Paul says the first thing will happen, the dead will rise. Mm -hmm. Then we who are alive and remain should be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, I want to pursue this a little bit, but uh, this is the origin of, of the infamous rapture idea. But the very passage itself can explain why it isn't the rapture, it's the resurrection. In, in that rapture theology, what Jesus is going to do now is take everyone away and you know, do something else on earth with the Jewish people. But that's not what the New Testament says anywhere. And this is clearly the resurrection since the dead are, are, are uh, being raised. And the problem with that theology is that it doesn't say anything about, well, where are you going? So your whole hope here is that when Jesus comes, he'll take you. It's like, oh, what's that? It's not, it's not the new heavens and the new earth. We're not... It's not that. What, what is it? it it's, it's, it really just kind of um, 
and then it 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 it's in a lot of the popular teaching has just led to a situation where because it talks about so much end time stuff. Okay, he took you, so you're not going to get torched on earth and everybody. <laughs> but you know, so it's better to be here than there. But it's better if he just doesn't come at all for a while because we don't, you know. So all that stuff is just problematic. Um, N.T. Wright, I, I think, had had a I think what I was I I consider to be an instructive uh, opinion, which is to say that the idea that the dead rise first and come with Christ, the living are caught up to meet them, that all come together into the new the new earth, the restored creation, to take possession of our inheritance, because it's complete, caught up. And, and that's so. This this is this is the telos, the completion. Not strictly in the in the in the bad sense of the English word, the end. It's all over. But this is the beginning, the completion of the new creation. And in a certain sense, life just begins here. And this is life without end. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. They already comforted. So your departed people aren't going to miss out on. And so we talk about not grieving as those without hope. We we will participate together in this thing. It happens. Even so, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think the you know that, that that's something that has kind of clarified my thoughts on this too. Is that that's what we should think, but some of these other takes on the end. Don't necessarily lead to that, right? Don't you know, and and I think that that <laughs> our longing for Christ to come should be rooted in both the the fulfillment of our own desire. Also, I think, and in a sense more profoundly, a, a, an implicit dissatisfaction with the injustice of the world we live in, yeah. the the ubiquitous suffering by the powerless at the hand of those who. This, it's not okay, and we can't do it. So we want that to be we we want that to be righted. And I think the fulfillment of our own desires is very very you know worthy and legitimate you know to be fulfilled. But we can get too much as 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 Westerners who are comfortable into that and lose sight of the the early Christians said even so come to get the bus kicked. Yeah. yeah, and they wanted Jesus to come and, and vindicate them. Yeah. The more comfortable we get, the more say, "Oh, even so, come, Lord." Maybe you know, down the road a little bit after you know. And so, um, those those are the things that that um, our view to 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 the, the world is disordered. There's no way of perfecting this world, although a lot of the media that's put at us about the green, you know, green and all this kind of stuff. I don't even think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it gives the impression, oh, we just do all these things and we'll all be, all be clean and everyone will be, everyone will be fat. And well, no, it's, it's, we're so far from that. It's not even, it does mean, I, I think, I think some of the conversation, conversation, conservation stuff <laughs> is good. I mean, we should take good care of the creation. Not because we're saving the earth, Jesus saved the earth, but because respect. we should care. But we're building on something that we're, well, we, we, we're, we're trying. The real, the real issue with the world we live in is, is that, as regards the creation, is we don't treat the creation according to its intrinsic value, 
but we treat it in, in, in modern terms as a means to the end. So we can take things and use it to make a profit, even though we despoil the thing. If we, if we care for the creation as it is, we don't, there, you don't dump a bunch of crap into rivers. You don't. Because right. it's the, it's God's creation yeah. that you want to and be beautiful and water and, water. and so it's once it's it's not um, for us. It's not a matter of saving the world. Right. It's a matter of this is always treating the creation with the intrinsic value God has given it. Yeah. So. And it's better for everyone. <laughs> so buy an electric car. No, never mind. I'm sorry. Hydrogen. Well, that, that all may be good, but it's I, I always laugh because I'm a cynic in the sense that too. we're going to have a big battery problem. Yeah. Oh boy, are we ever. But the big clean, clean air problem, there's no way to, there's, there's no way to, it's to, all uh, it's all, it's all going to, you know, it's all, it's, it's, this place isn't, we can't, we can, yeah. some of the things we do may be advisable to make it better. I can't speak to that. I'm not, I'm not the scientist, but. Um, I can't say that. You don't have to be a scientist to know that those batteries are going to continue to leak into the earth forever. Well, not only that, we're taking all of these things out of the earth and putting them in there. (laughs) And then there'll be wars over that, over lithium. There's there's a lot of things. So my point is, for us, for us, this should not, um, my advocacy is really for detachment from some of those anxious stories because they'll you know that's what they want us to get all angry about either either how someone's polluting or how someone's solving it in the wrong way and um we have to we live in the kingdom is we should endeavor in our lives to to treat things rightly it's it's, it's kind of interesting or i might say a challenge in our culture because you know, we're in a system that doesn't do that, mm-hmm. and somehow we, we end up not doing that. And it's, I don't know, how, it, it's, it's disconcerting, but we should make the effort. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have to treat people with their value and be witnesses, but have no illusion that we can save this thing. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Good stuff. Yeah. So I don't know what we'll do next. Stay tuned. Okay. Have we done the book of Philippians? I don't know. We've uh I think so. I know there's always two memes, aren't there? Look how beautiful this book is. Oh, thank you.